Hello everyone, my guest today is Amar Hansball. He's the CEO and board member of Bright Machines, the leader in software-defined manufacturing and one of America's most promising AI companies, according to Forbes. Amar has more than 30 years of experience driving in businesses and technology transformation. Prior to joining Bright Machines in 2018, he was the co-CEO at Autodesk, a company with over 11,000 employees. So first of all, Amar, welcome to the show. Thomas, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. It's great to have you calling in from San Francisco. So you have an amazing story. I already read a lot about you, but tell the audience, how did you get to where you are today? Okay. Um, I mean, I, I was trained as a mechanical engineer and uh, one of my first jobs out of graduate school was uh, working on a uh, mechanical engineering design for a uh, super collider, which right now, you know, the Large Hadron Collider, these scientists were working on that. And in order to be successful with the designs, I got involved with CAD CAM using those tools to do the design. And one of the companies I was using the CAD CAM software from was Autodesk. And uh, one time I visited California and ended up meeting the people from Autodesk. And I just fell in love with the company, fell in love with the place and uh, started my, I would say, software career there where I, you know, for the first seven years of my life, I would, uh, career, I would uh, take care of customers. And uh, first it was uh, US customers and then European customers. I lived in Switzerland actually for two and a half years um, doing technical support. And it helped me learn a lot about the problems we were trying to solve through software. Eventually that led me to a marketing job and product management where I started leading the core uh, product of the company, AutoCAD. And, uh, you know, through uh, a experience of trying to run a startup in the first dot-com era, which is like sort of 98 to 2001, uh, doing a B2B kind of uh, exchange, I learned more and more about turning products into businesses. That led me to PNL leadership back at Autodesk after I left that startup. And, uh, you know, through a series of I guess projects, I kept getting more and more responsibility and ended up uh, you know, translating all those business uh, uh, learnings into uh, eventually having the uh, privilege of running the company. And, uh, and, and really, for the last five years of my career at Autodesk, we're really driving the cloud transformation of Autodesk into not just a subscription business, but a company that was making the cloud the central platform of its products and, and its uh, ecosystem. And uh, in 2017, I left uh, the company. Um, the, the, the board uh, decided to pick one CEO instead of two. And uh, then I started searching for my um, you know, next adventure. And I was really a big believer in sort of thinking about how technology can transform industries Mark Andreessen always says software eats the world. You know, it, 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 and in these days, it's, uh, I would believe it's a combination actually of hardware and software eating the world. You know, sensors are everywhere. That's what I mean by hardware. So started thinking about what could be the next big industry or activity we could transform. And I ran across uh, 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 the uh, Eclipse Ventures team that I've been thinking about making factory automation a central idea that they were going to invest in. And I'd always thought about how the world of um, you know, s making software had changed 
as the cloud had appeared, and then we started thinking about how could we change the way physical things were made through applying software and hardware and those conversations and thinking about how machine learning, computer vision, sensors, robotic arms, all of these things could now be applied to transforming, let's say, the factory uh, environment. That's what led us to Bright Machines. And so I, I hope that was not too long of an answer, but that's the, no, that's the that, short story in how I got to where. That was a great answer. So currently you're the CEO or Chief Executive Officer of Bright Machines. So tell us what does the company do and how do we make money? Yeah, so Bright Machines is building a factory automation platform and uh, which is software-based. So when we say software-defined manufacturing, the idea here, and again, the word Bright Machines means that we're really supplying eyes and brains to machines that do the work of building products out on the factory floor. So, you know, whatever term you want to use, factory automation platform, software-defined manufacturing, the idea is to use software to make uh, and control machines to carry out operations that you would have otherwise relied on sort of analog or humans to keep doing. Um, and so the place we're starting is trying to um, uh, take over assembly, inspection, and testing processes uh, in terms of uh, where we could amplify human efforts. So the first place we are applying software in the factory is to take over repetitive tasks that customers are, uh, are, are manning through huge pools of labor in, in factories for uh, assembling primarily electronics products. And so the way we make money is that it's really from a software subscription basis, but as a whole product, we are supplying these sort of integrated robotic cells. So we do have a hardware component to our business. It's just that our invention is not the hardware. We take standard components from everyone. The invention is really the software that controls that hardware. And that's on the basis of what we make money. Okay, got it. So that sounds super, super interesting. So back then, I want to divide that and basically do two different objects. So the question is, what are the best resources that have helped you along the way? So let's divide it in one at Autodesk when you first yeah. started out, but then also in, in Bright yeah. Machines. So last year, what, what are the best resources then? But that started at Autodesk. Yeah. So it's a question like, uh, what kind of people have been helpful to me? And well, that, that could be that, that could be one answer, people. But in general, what have been the best resources? Well, I mean, look, I, uh, to give you a cliched answer, I think in some ways failure has been the best way for me to learn. Because in some ways, um, and, and it's really been through projects. And, and so that sort of the, the best resources uh, for me has been, uh, I would be, you form a hypothesis. It's a little bit like, I think, you know, it's funny that science has been doing this for many years and uh, people in business don't really learn from science as much or borrow from science as much. But, you know, if you look at scientists, they start with the hypothesis, they run a few experiments, they learn from the experiments, and then slowly, 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 slowly refine their answer to what then becomes the, uh, you know, longstanding belief. And for me in business, it has not been, I will you know, be completely honest, I have not been that thoughtful. It's really been more about taking risks by, you know, betting on an idea and then finding out that parts of that idea were good and parts of that idea were false or turned out to be things that I had to change my opinion on. So in that weird way, failure has been the best resource for me. And my, 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 um, 
path through all those years that I described was every now and then I would take a big risk either in switching jobs, um, and, I, and I can c cover that, or in a job taking a big risk and then learning from that. And I would say, you know, those are very uncomfortable moments at times, but that's been my biggest teacher over the years, the biggest resources. Of course, I've read books, I've listened to TED Talks, I've met very smart people, um, and I've gone, I've never really had like a formal MBA education, but I've taken a few courses, but there's nothing better than, you know, jumping into the fray and succeeding or failing in terms of teaching you, you know, what you should or shouldn't do. And I'm happy to elaborate my, uh, you know, couple of examples at Autodesk, and then I can tell you at Bright Machines, a couple of examples from where I, what I learned. Yeah, no, no, I think that's great. I think that's a great answer. So what then let's let's maybe define one thing so when you when you started at bribe machines what was some one one key resource that has helped you then um i mean when you say resource i would say look i think it was knowledge of what computer vision is what makes possible so i think one of the fundamental uh you know i i, I go back and say that in uh in my uh, when in 1987 when i started at autodesk something that stu stuck with me was the big enabling platform was the PC. And then we watched in about 92 to 94, the PC, so the, the Wintel, so Windows and Intel, the compute power of Intel chips and the user interface of Windows, and then the business model of Suite, which started with Microsoft Office, really that combination you know, created a few powerhouses like Microsoft, for example, and Adobe and others. And it always stuck with me. And I think at least my one, you know, most consistent mentor through my years, uh, the, was, the guy who was the CEO of Autodesk prior to, to me, Carl Bass, was that the combination of technology and business model is the most potent force to create businesses. And, uh, you know, along the way, well, you know, I kept thinking about those moments and at Autodesk, we had the cloud show up, and that's why, you know, trying to rewrite the products as, as cloud-based products and create a subscription business model was the way we thought about, hey, here's how we create the next $4 billion for, for Autodesk. And so when it came to Bright Machines, you know, you saw, you saw just building on that, if SaaS was the last big platform, at Bright Machines, I'd been thinking, okay, so what's the next vaulting factor for new businesses and it was beginning to become clear to me that one big change in the last five years in particular was that up until now all computers could do was count and now computers could see and uh, mm. the growth of computer vision and the resources that let me educate myself on what was now possible with computer vision so all the reading that i could do online primarily and then a couple of my colleagues who are with me in, at Bright Machines, Brian Matthews, for example, really told me what was possible with computer vision. And so a, a big portion of what we're trying to do differently in our factory automation platform is applied vision. And I would say that single big resource was thinking about, reading about, and watching, let's say autonomous driving, drones, all these things that were applying vision and talking to people in those industries or those uh, product areas, um, that was my biggest sort of in 
the one year that I spent between jobs, I would say teaching myself machine learning and computer vision was, yeah. uh, and what they made possible was the biggest resource that I, I had. I, I love that. I think that that was a great answer. So let's jump back a little bit to, to people. Who are three people except your family who have been most influential to you during your journey? I would, look, I would start with Carl Bass, who's been, um, uh, was the CEO of Autodesk um, and he's our, on our board today. I'd say he was clearly been somebody I've learned a lot from. Um, and, you know, he was, he's an engineer first and foremost, and uh, he's somebody that, um, He's, uh, I've watched him and uh, grow. We all, you know, we got together and, on projects and you are, our first passion was building great things. And, you know, I'd learned that from him about how you pay attention to details, see around corners. So he's been somebody that's been very influential in my life uh, and, and somebody I've learned a lot from. I would say the CEO of Autodesk also prior to that, Carol Bartz is someone that I learned a lot about uh, just building teams. Uh, she was very, uh, for, you know, she became the CEO of Yahoo after a while. She was, of course, from Sun Microsystems. And she was someone that I, you know, was very, also very direct and very, uh, had a very uh, a, a, a good instinct of just like, you know, cutting through as, pardon the uh, American expression here, but cutting through the bullshit and just saying, hey, listen, this is the issue and getting people to act on it. She, so I, she, I would say she was another person that was influential uh, in my growth. And actually the third one, I would not name names, but there's been this odd thing of, I've actually learned from a series of people what not to do. So there've been a few managers I've had over the years and people I've seen in the industry who are narcissistic, who are egotistic, who treat people badly, who make, uh, you know, so it's like, I have almost had this mentor of what not to do, which is a collection of watching people, uh, you know, and, and their behavior. I would say from people that I have not met, but I've admired and tried to read about and learn from how they do make decisions in the industry, watching Jeff Bezos at Amazon and Reed Hastings at Netflix, Those are two gentlemen I wish I would meet someday because I think they would, they've mentored me more from just my ability to read about what they've done or people that they've interacted with and learned how they've made decisions, I would say. So they don't know they're my mentors, but I would say, you know, they're the third group of people that I've, I've learned from. I love that. Well, just, just send them an email and, and, and ask if they want to meet up. <laughs> I know. No, seriously, you would be surprised how many people respond to that. Okay. I'll try yeah. it. I say Thomas sent me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they, they recognize me, but you can try it. Let me know how it goes. Okay. Will do. Awesome. So what do you think your unique skill was that has helped you to become successful? I mean, early on in my career, I would say understanding what matters to customers. I mean, you know, there's, You know that expression that, uh, you know, Henry Ford once said, which is like, if, my customer, if I listen to my customers all, I'd give them was a faster horse. You know, this is the idea when you, you, you have to listen well to customers and make sure you understand the problem they're trying to solve. You don't have to listen to them in terms of the solution they think solves their problem. But I think my original skill and the one that has kept me in good stead is, really understanding the context of customers, 
and figuring out the unique uh, set of you know technology or approach that we could bring to solve that problem. Now, over the years, to go from you know that lets you build a good product or be a good product manager. I would say that would maybe my core skill. But what I've learned is, in order for business to succeed, to succeed as a business person, you need at least two other uh, skills which I've acquired over the years. And one is to build a team and motivate a team around that purpose. So you know, being able to articulate that custom problem as a vision that people can sort of rally around, understand, feel good about, and really be able to get a good group of people. I've been fortunate in my career that there have been some really smart people I've worked with, very capable. I think building a team around that original idea has been another skill I've gotten. And then over the years, I think I've learned to sort of connect uh, that idea to how you make money. Because I would say there's a, there's a physics of business on how you take, you know, like, okay, so you start with the idea, the customer has a headache, you figure out a solution, you need to give them ibuprofen, you get a group of scientists and <clears throat> manufacturing people to make ibuprofen, but then you have to figure out how are you going to make money on ibuprofen? And that's the last bit that I've learned over the years that there are certain levers in business that you can push and pull at the end of the day, how you create you know, money for the business. And I would say that's the third skill I've acquired is how do you take products and translate them into, into money-making businesses? Got it. Well, I think those are, those are great skills and I think it's not really easy to just, you know, have them. So it's, it's a lot of training. So one of, my, one of my last questions would be, where do you think your industry will go, first of all, in the next five years, but then also the next 30 years? Yeah. Look, so I, I, look, I, the 30-year answer is, in a weird way, easier than the five-year answer because you know that uh, we always underestimate what technology, we always overestimate what technology can do in the short term. We underestimate what technology can do in the yeah. long term. So look, I would look at it and say, look, if, uh, since we are serving the manufacturing industry, one thing that's very clear 30 years from now is that products are not going to be made the way they are made today. So I mean, even today, products are made sort of in a post-industrial uh, age way, which is that everybody's still making high volume, low mix products, you know, in centralized factories in the world, right? So very typically you have factories somewhere in Asia or in Latin America or in Eastern Europe that are making thousands and thousands of components or assembling them into products and shipping them around the world. 30 years from now, and you know, all of that is done using a lot of labor. 30 years from now, I believe factories will look like data centers. You know, if you look at data centers today, they're distributed. And so I think there'll be factories will build products on demand close to the customer. And you get into the situation where whatever product you're, you want made, you can customize it to a high extent, you can get it relatively quickly and you get it locally. And, that has a huge set of implications on the sustainability of the planet, the satisfaction of the customer. You know, so I think factories, this whole idea of lights out, so you'd have lighter, smaller, distributed factories building products on demand. I think that's the future of manufacturing. Certainly in 30 years, I actually think it'll happen sooner, but certainly in 30 years. And in 30 years, Hopefully that one of those factories will be on Mars. You know, you know, you know why don't Man, so, I love that. I wish too. Yeah. So I think that's the thing in 30 years. 
in five years, I think what you would see from here is that I, I do think the one thing that the one trend that's underway is the decentralization of manufacturing. So I think the whole trade tariff thing that's in the world now is pulling manufacturing away from sort of a reversal of globalization, right? Which was the our outsourcing more specifically that I think manufacturing is going to get more and more back to um, closer, at least to where the products are engineered and potentially closer to where products are actually bought by customers. So I think in the next five years, you're going to see not, you know, all these manufacturers are not going to just have their factories at the other end of the world. I think you're going to see a movement back closer to where those companies are. And as a result of that, I think that automation is going to increase because that's the only way to have a more distributed, synchronized a way of building products. So I think that's going to start happening in five years. You're going to see a few industries lead that way. Um, I think certainly consumer products are going to do that. I think some parts of automotive are going to do that. Um, some light industrial products are going to do that. And you're going to start seeing that in the next five years. Got it. No, that's, that's a really interesting viewpoint and, and, and I really liked it. So we're running out of time here. So let's wrap up with the fantastic four. Question number one, is there a CEO that you're following or studying right now? Jeff Bezos, Amazon. Jeff, Jeff Bezos, Amazon. Do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, I do it mostly on a weekly basis, which is to have at least one day where I have uh, at least half my days uh, spent on reading and uh, and writing because the job of a CEO can be everybody demands your time uh, and so you really have a clear time to think so at least once a week I try and clear time for myself to read and think love it how often do you do sports a week uh three to four times I would say I like playing tennis at my age that's the one sport that I can do without breaking my bones so I, I play sports about three to four times a week. I love that. Last question, Amar. What do you wish you would have started when you were 20 years old? Um, well, when I was 20 years old, I would have liked to have gone to Hollywood and directed a movie and started it. But I would say in the world of technology, uh, I think um, there's any number of, uh, what, what was I doing? Yeah. I think there's a, there's, there was a few ideas I had around uh, how to manage customers. Like, you know, the thing that you see as Jira today, that the whole way of managing bugs and managing uh, customer problems out in the field, that was an idea I had kind of in my early 20s, and I wish I'd followed my gut and actually gone and done that. Got it. Thank you so much for being on the show, Amar. My pleasure, Thomas. Thank you for having me.